Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about work from anywhere in overall government context and then also specifically in public procurement, since that's our typical discussion area. In the last year, with so much change that happened, sending people into their houses, we adopted the the discussion that people were working from home. And as we start to bring people back to the office or at least trying to figure out what is the blend of working at home and working in the office, I've seen people try to use the phrase work from anywhere and I support it because I think it has effect on our facilities and on our overall thought process on what work is and where things begin. So why don't we start with Jamie so that she can make up for not being here last week on like what she's thinking about and then she can introduce her peer from Maine. So yeah, thanks Dustin. And uh, again, sorry I was uh, missing everybody last week, had some other stuff come up, but great to be back with the group this week. Talking about working from anywhere, that is, there's a whole lot more to working from anywhere than I think um, when you initially hear that phrase. So Right. Let's think about I can take my cell phone and I can go anywhere and I can get I can link my bank accounts and I can do my personal stuff and I can I can do what I need to do without really ever opening up a laptop at home. Like I can conduct my personal business. But when you start talking about conducting professional business, I need a laptop or I need multiple screens, or I need an iPad, and I need to figure out, maybe I'm not at home in the same state where my employer is. Maybe I want to go down to the Caribbean and away from this cold, snowy weather nine months out of the year, and I want to kick my feet up on the beach, but still be able to respond to my CIO when he needs contracts done. That's not necessarily possible. It sounds good, but there's a whole host of implications from an IRS perspective, a tax perspective, an HR perspective. But really where I wanted to kick off the discussion today is bringing on Fred Britton, the uh, chief information officer for the state of Maine, who is an extremely respected colleague of mine. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with Fred for a couple of years now. And most people, when they hear CPO and CIO, um, it's like oil and water, they just don't mix, right? But I uh, I do have tremendous respect for Fred and his team from a technology perspective and all that Fred does and his team to support us as we work from home. And I think, um, Fred, I'll turn it over to you. Tell us a little bit about what it means from a technology perspective to work from anywhere. What does that mean and what it, how does that affect you from a technology perspective? Got it. Thanks, Jamie. And by the way, thanks for having me. And I don't know who these CPO, CIO pairings you speak of that are oil and water, but I've always said, and maybe, Jamie, you've never heard me say this, but the way to a CIO's heart is through his procurement officer. So um, when we talk about, right, there's there's the work from home and then there is the work anywhere. And I, and I think of those in a couple of different ways, um, places that maybe interface with procurement a little bit. And Jamie, you kind of hit it when you started saying in the Caribbean, 
maybe I can't just do that because there's implications around the data, there's federal requirements around where certain data can be accessed from. Um, but there's other places that have been a challenge for us for the last year, and some of the sort of easy answers to those problems suddenly get blown out of the water with what you're talking about. So the, the big one that we speak about a lot is the security issues of work from home. And so here we are, and I, I suspect a lot of people in my shoes or yours, Jamie, have heard from various internet providers saying, hey, we can help you and we can extend your network perimeter to your, to your employees' homes by, you know, th through whatever technology means, we'll provide their internet service. And, and now you can just treat them like you're in, they're inside your network and you don't have to worry about all that. What you're proposing changes that dynamic as a as even a possibility, and actually, I think it's probably a possibility that should be changed. Uh, we should be enabling these kinds of approaches where it really doesn't matter whether you're at home. And what that means to our security folks is perimeter is different, right? So we start talking about what are the products needed to uh, ensure you can get in from any device, from any time, anywhere, and it kind of gets you away from some of the things that we've really been talking about for the last 12 months. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much time we have, Jamie, but I think there's a there's also some elements around um, how we actually work with the humans out there. And there's a there's a desire from the technology folks to say, what are the things that we need to do to enable remote management? And there's a desire. I mean, we, we've heard certainly we've even heard in the state of Maine people saying, well, can we install things on devices such that we can monitor how hard people are working and when they're working. Uh, and I actually have a little bit of a kind of almost a visceral reaction to that sort of approach. And I mean, if we have a chance, I'd love to talk about that a little bit more, but sort of keeping in mind that just because technology could be an answer to a problem, it may not be the best answer. Excellent. Well, Jenny, you told us that you had limited cycles on this call. So I think that's a good segue to some of your seat where you look at things about risk and some of the rest. So how are you guys thinking about the transition from work from home into whatever the next normal is? And how does the phrase work from anywhere fit into that concept? Yes, thank you, Dustin. This is Jenny Hunterman. I'm risk counsel with the Comptroller's Office in Massachusetts. And I think Massachusetts, even though we're really proactive in a lot of areas and work from home, has been embraced and, and implemented, I, I think, really fluently. I don't think that there's a concept out there of working from anywhere yet. Just because, as Jamie said and, and, and Fred said, there's IRS and there's security issues that come up based on where you work. Um, and... They talk about perimeter security, but it is really difficult when you expand that perimeter behind, beyond the home environment, even if you have office-issued equipment, because the rules change. If you go out of the country, then we might be subject to different rules. We don't carry the rules of Massachusetts or whatever state you're in over a border. So I think, especially like if you went to California, you'd have issues with that. So I think a lot of those discussions are just in their infancy. I think we will eventually get there and companies, I think, have more resources and more ability to be flexible in that respect. Um, but I think in the public sphere, I think the public has an expectation that they're going to have FaceTime, that they're going to you know, see people in offices and that they're going to be able to go into an office if there's a public facing part and see human beings there. Um, I think there's also the union issue since many states have unionized employees so that if you're going to change the work environment, you really have to bargain that, either bargain it 
completely or bargain the impact. So I think now that we're coming out of the pandemic, at least in Massachusetts, they're taking um, kind of a progressive approach where they're slowly coming back starting um, after Labor Day, you know, barring any other health incidents and um, working back to folks coming into the office. But they are embracing more remote work, which they hadn't in the past. But I think from my perspective as, as risk counsel, I think the cybersecurity issues are only increasing, which puts an enormous burden on the IT <clears throat> infrastructure. That's hard enough to control when you're at a home environment. Um, it gets even increasingly harder to control when you have more um, agile workers who are working from di different locations. And I think when you're in a Starbucks or things like that, it's even riskier because hackers are there targeting people specifically in those areas. Jenny out. Interesting. Let me ask Jamie or, or, or James or Kristen, have you guys brought people back into the office yet? Are you dealing with the cultural questions about how we have a staff that maybe feels like they can be productive at home to nudge or encourage them or, or demand that they come back to the office? And how have we tried to create this blend? And then we can go back to some of the technical challenges. Kristen Webb, Chevy County Government, uh, Purchasing Administrator. So for us, the option is no longer present. We uh, have been all the way back in the office, um, no longer working in a virtual capacity for about three weeks. Um, and that ruling came from our administration, from the mayor's office. So everyone who works under the mayor is now back in the office. Um, when we talk about transitioning back, one thing that we have made sure to consider is that there were some benefits. What we have been allowed to do is continue any of our business operations electronically, specifically those that are um, public facing. So for like for our pre-bids, public openings, things of that nature, we can continue to do those virtually. Um, but we have to be in the office um, doing it virtually. So um, to, to your point, question, Jamie. It, it isn't an option uh, for us to be able to work from home or work from anywhere else um, for that for that matter. Uh, one thing I think that kind of has resonated for us and what I did like to hear was the security mm -hmm. risks that are there, um, something that doesn't sit at the forefront of my brain often, uh, or even the IRS and the HR um, implications. But for us, one of the things I, did, I have heard is the transparency to the public and our public um, being able to trust and know that we are doing the work right and somehow being in the office um helped help to support that idea and that perception so um, that's where we are um i know that we have not gotten rid of our access to being able to work virtually in case we do need to transition back for some unfortunate or unforeseen reason but um, that's where we are here in Shepherd county uh james e crenshaw dc government office of the chief financial officer uh, we are in a unique situation because we are independent of the mayor's office. So on the mayor's side, majority of those uh, uh, individual contributors and teams have already gone back into the office and will be going back into to the office after July 4. On our side, we are in the still the research phase. So we recently uh, issued a survey to all of the departments and the questions are on the survey or just based around your experience working from home, um, working with team members, do you feel productive? Um, and we also ask questions around your feelings on going into the office. Um, how safe do you feel? Um, what concerns would you have with going into office? Is it working with others? Is it uh, the public? Is it uh, restrooms? Is it childcare? So we're really trying to take a 
a total contributor approach and looking at every possible variable that may inf- affect um, the employees uh, on our teams as it relates to going back to the office or uh, working from anywhere. And so one of the main things we're doing, we started by, like I said, doing the survey, and we're also looking at our KPIs. And fortunately for us, our KPIs have improved and because the majority of the people want to stay at home or work from anywhere. So that's where we're at right now. There's a strong possibility that we'll be doing some type of hybrid work starting after Labor Day. So uh, that's where we're at right now. It's a great discussion. So we did a project with one of the big fours about a year or so ago. And when I went into their space, it was interesting how much of the space was used for hosteling space, like the H-O-S-T-E-L space, where you would actually move around in the office and you didn't necessarily have a dedicated office space, depending on what you were going to do in a time you rented it. And I know in Texas, there's been discussion about one of the new Texas DOT buildings having that characteristic that's an interesting element of potentially work from anywhere is even within the office space, maybe we don't need as much facility space. So let me introduce Tanya. She's the CIO for King County. She's been on some other content with me and she's fun and thoughtful. So Tanya, what are you thinking about in terms of this transition from where we've been into whatever we're going into next? Thanks, Dustin. Tanya Hanna, King County, Washington, CIO. This conversation is super fascinating. At King County, we are actually moving to a work from anywhere model, which is probably not typical of what you would see within um, private sector. And for the most part, employees will be in hybrid. Some departments like mine will be mostly remote period. Others will have a hybrid of one or two days in the office, but it's coupled with how King County will deliver government services of the future and how we are looking at digital, how do we serve hard to reach uh, communities and ensuring that they have equitable access to information and services. And a lot of that is actually moving out of the downtown core of Seattle. Um, to other parts of King County and meeting the public individuals where they're at and providing services in that way. We're seeing it um, with the vaccine administration where the pop-ups go to the schools, it goes to the community centers, um, working with local community-based organizations to connect. Um, And we are seeing an expansion of it. I think Jenny brought up some good points about the HR policy. Where do where do those particular tax dollars um, go, particularly when um, you're thinking about where your employees are? For us, it is, well, you kind of sort of need to be in Washington because you're getting your pay is equal to what the cost of living might be in the Seattle metropolitan statistical area. And so we have employees who are like, I'm going to move to the other part of the state. And if I need to drive into the office, I'll just come in when, when necessary, particularly if they're doing remote. We do have some out-of-state employees, but those tend to be very specific use cases. It'll be interesting because as my team 
um, are looking for more innovation, we need to particularly look elsewhere because this region is very competitive for the skill sets we need. And um, we're competing against great stock options, great companies, and how we need to move forward. Um, we will potentially have employees in other locations like we do now in Alabama, um, California, Arizona, and some, some other, other things. But I think it's, 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 it's going to be interesting what plays out over the next several months, um, particularly as offices reopen. Thanks for joining us, Tanya. Is anybody else seeing in their state or entity this thing I talked about as far as the hosteling and if there's a better phrase for it so that I don't have to be clear, I'm not meaning hostile, please let me know. But is anybody experimenting with more of this style? Yeah, Dustin, I will take that. We are, we're not doing it yet, but we have a task force looking and the term that they're using is hoteling. And in a hoteling environment, you're thinking about, I mean, from the IT standpoint, we're thinking about like, what's the reservation software? But when you do that, you're also thinking about what are the amenities, right? What kind of, I don't know, docking station do I need? Do I need a fixed phone? Do I need uh, also the, what am I working on, right? Is there, is there some privacy necessary to that space where I go land? Either I'm working, right? Maybe I'm working in health and human services as a caseworker and I'm discussing confidential matters or I'm a manager. Uh, so there's a lot of work underway here in Maine, and I'm and uh, we just had last week was the uh, mid-year conference for National Association of State CIOs, and we had sponsored a, a workforce study, and the conversation that followed the presentation on that was great, and what we were hearing from states was they were predominantly somewhere on the continuum of exploring hoteling, uh, shrinking space, and it seemed to be a, a theme across most state governments that that was the plan is that we are definitely going to have uh, at least a fair bit of hybrid work. Uh, we've, there are some states who are already actively shrinking their, their physical footprint uh, for here in Maine. I mean, I used to wander around the, our primary office building and on any given day, at least a third of our cubes were vacant because we already had a, a partial remote option to a number available to a number of our employees. So the shifts uh, to something, you know, maybe more uh, official. We're kind of waiting on the state for some some more official policy approaches. But I think for for us, the shift is going to be relatively easy. I think people are more and more comfortable with they may not have their own dedicated space. Uh, and I will say, I came from. 25 years in higher education, and certainly the younger generation, I mean, we had a whole model of space, uh, all the rage was something called learning commons that was really sort of interesting space where people could drop in individually or collaborate. Uh, and having watched the, you know, our future employees come through that model, there's a different comfort level with these open floor plans and not having that, that closed door office. So I think there's a, there's a high probability of this working well on that front. Dustin, King County is actually doing that. We've already moved to, as Fred said, hoteling spaces. We are have gotten out of lease spaces. We did that months ago um, during the pandemic and um, are consolidating office spaces now. We've chosen to add lockers um, so that people can lock up their stuff and there's a, a space reservation system in place where people can reserve cubes. Um, and we've 
kind of set what uh, the standard office will look like in terms of docking stations, monitors, um, and whatnot. Some desks don't have anything because a lot of employees took all of their equipment home and we've just chosen not to replace it, especially since um, it is expected that we're only going to see like a 50% uh, utilization. When you think about how much space gets held for meeting rooms and, and people, and I mean, there's a big cultural shift to it, but I think there's some benefit to it as well. Jenny, what do you think culturally? Is, is everybody ready to come back? Are you talking to people about whether they're all 100% gung-ho to come in? I know I had somebody who interviewed with me recently who worked for a big firm who specifically said she couldn't handle the the drive time she was getting ready to have to go back and do, and she just didn't want to do it. Where where do you think people are culturally right now? I think, um, you know, as, as Fred and other folks have talked about, I think they're kind of halfway in between. I think um, we're going to be coming in at least four days a month to beginning, at least in our office. We're also independent, but I know the state's working more towards a hybrid model. Um, I think the commuting into Boston, that's kind of the biggest issue that people have, but they're comfortable working at home or coming into the office. So I think um, that's really the biggest issue people are talking about. And of course, the safety of coming on buses and trains and things like that. They still have health concerns with not everybody being vaccinated. So I think um, that uncertainty is really still in people's minds. So I think we won't have a better answer until September when people start really migrating back to the office. Jenny out. So Jamie, are people energized to come back and see people? Are they wanting to uh, stay out? Uh, I know of at least one state where they said we're out and we're never coming back. So I think it's uh, there's spectrums all over the map as far as what people are working and where their expectations are. So what have you been seeing? So does that mean there's a state other than the state of Maine that says they're out and they're not coming back? Or are you referring? Uh, no, no, no. It's, 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 a, it's a Dakota, but I won't say which one. So Okay, well, that narrows it down. I got a 50-50 shot. So this is, I'm going to take this opportunity just to whine briefly. And Jenny brought up a great point. When you think about commuting into Boston or Atlanta or New York, that is so much time spend out of your day that you could be more productive at work and your employer would probably appreciate a little extra productivity. I whine and complain when I have to go 15 minutes in the morning to drop my kids off at school and then go 15 minutes in the afternoon to pick them up. Like these are not big time problems. And one thing I will say, the coffee's better at home. So when you start thinking about your employees and what it means to them, it's this is a big lifestyle shift. So remote companies work harder to protect corporate and customer data, but they may increase employee satisfaction. They may increase productivity. And I think what I've heard throughout um, the conversation today, we have to think about not only the employees, the financial footprint, the ethical footprint, the cybersecurity footprint, the technology footprint, and all the other logistics that go with that. But my, I guess my challenge back to the group is why is that any different than what we faced 18 months ago that we had been putting off for years and years and years? We just all of a sudden moved to remote work because we had to. And you probably heard from many state government officials that we weren't, we didn't have the infrastructure to do it. We just couldn't do it. Well, we did it. 
And now we're here and we have employees that are scared to death to go back to work, either because they have issues, they have family members that have um, immune disorders, etc. So from a procurement perspective, it's a mixed bag. My um, my procurement group in the state of Maine, 22 of us, I sent them home, I rearranged the office, and we were the first one in Maine state government to pilot permanent remote workforce. And when I say permanent, I use that term loosely because it's really set until the end of the public emergency, until we can figure out the long-term policies. But I don't have space for them. We are utilizing a hoteling process where we have worked with Fred and team to set up docking stations that will work for everybody, consistent laptops, etc. There's another state, all employees, they were told on a Friday afternoon, come back in for Monday. So I really do think it's a mixed bag. For me, I don't want to go back to the office full time and I don't want my staff to go back full time because it, there are less distractions and productivity is much higher. Now, that being said, lovingly, I will say with Fred Britton, the CIO from Maine, on the call with us today, uh, Fred can reach me anytime he wants to. I do answer an increased number of questions around contracts and IT related contracts, but that also means that I answer the questions on the front end and I'm not cleaning up as many messes on the back end when contracts go south. So Fred, I'm just curious, like, does that, does that all resonate with you that that makes sense from the CIO perspective that you've got somebody within state government saying, I'm not coming back. My coffee's better. I can answer questions. It's all good from my perspective. Jamie, it resonates, and I think, but but I think you've opened the door to the to probably the area that I'm most passionate about, which is what we can do is one thing. How we do it becomes something rather different, and that is the all the people that are involved. And so we've we've heard all these staff saying, "I don't want to come back to the office," and in fact, they go so far as to say, <clears throat> "And if you make me come back, I'm just going to go find an employer who will let me work at home." Uh, so there is that strong a desire. There was a <clears throat> there was a workforce survey done by Microsoft that was released a couple months ago, where of the people surveyed, 46% were actually considering finding another job because location was now not a critical factor because they could get a job where they were they could work from anywhere. So we're starting to think about right how are these employees functioning and what are our expectations. So you just said yeah, I can get you anywhere, anytime. And I can. And people have that expectation of me. But that work from anywhere and that flexible schedule also breaks down all the boundaries that people have between work and personal life. Right In that same study from Microsoft, it was there was a 42% increase in chats that occurred after hours. Uh, <clears throat> right, that it, We think that people are always available to us now. And we're not being particularly respectful. So we've got to think about that. The other thing is the people who respond differently to different modalities. <clears throat> Sorry. So if you think about the introverts who say, boy, I was born to work from home. This is great, right? Suddenly they don't have to feel like they're on all the time. They appreciate it. But there's other people who really thrive on the interaction and that, that hallway chatter who actually are feeling maybe a little less productive. There are people who are more vocal in virtual meetings than they would have been otherwise. I mean, we saw this in education when we introduced learning management systems, <clears throat> right? The students that wouldn't participate in a classroom discussion will participate in an online uh, 
text discussion, right? So you, there's different ways of engaging people. And I think it's, it's now incumbent upon us to think about workforce, not just as a how many do I have and of what type, but how are we actually engaging with them so that they, they stay with us and they're happy. And this, the things that I would encourage people to think about are there's sort of these kind of basic human needs. Uh, and it, it comes a little bit off of, um, you know, there's some studies out there that include things like food and shelter, but um, staff that want to be heard and understood, they want to feel valued, they want to make sure they're set for success, and they want to feel special. And so it's now on us to say, you're not just a gear in the machine that's producing certain work product, but how are we making sure that you're getting those things from an environment where you're not necessarily in the room for the typical attaboy? So I, I would encourage people to really start to think about workforce management, delving more into the into the human issues and recognizing that they're not all the same. Excellent. So Jennifer, uh, you came up on stage. Did you want to contribute or ask a question? Yes. Thanks, Dustin, for being here and everyone else. And Jamie, it sounds like we need to use Compare Co-ops and get you some better coffee. I had a question from the supplier side, from companies that are trying to do business with you all. What do you think the dynamic looks like when you're not in an office? Are you feeling pretty comfortable that you've been able to build relationships virtually? And what are your thoughts on doing in-person conferences? Will you be going to in-person conferences? So my initial thought, I, I would say for the last year, I feel like our, our supplier engagement has been a little slower as far as being able to have those vendor introductions. I think everybody's been kind of in, um, you know, survival mode, so to speak, just trying to get products in that are needed to address uh, various things that were probably tied to COVID. Um, but I, I will say with us moving back to in-person um, it does allow us, we have had some pre-bids just based on um, the need to accommodate. We've had more in-person um, meetings in that way for our suppliers. And I have seen an increase since we've come back in office in suppliers coming into the office, um, you know, looking to meet with buyers. Uh, they seem a bit more engaged in that way versus just operating strictly through um, the virtual emails or uh, virtual meetings that are there. Um, to answer the second part of your question, yes, we are looking to do uh, or at least start attending more in-person conferences. So the shift is happening for sure. Um, but to the point about supplier in engagement, I think it's, it's, it's been greater for us in person. Hey, thanks, Jennifer, for your question. Oh, for us, we're looking at, at again, at a, a hybrid model. So our focus is on uh, working and working efficiently. And so for those uh, individuals on our teams that would like to meet with suppliers in person, uh, we're not going to put any boundaries around um, their ability to do that as long as it's in a, in a safe setting. Uh, I particularly have talked, spoken with more suppliers uh, these teams and Zoom calls have, have been uh, very common uh, for my department. So whether it's on um, upcoming procurements or even debriefs on procurements, uh, my engagement with suppliers have, has actually increased. As it relates to uh, conferences, uh, the Delaware chapter of the NIGP is actually having an in-person conference uh, September 29th through October 1st. 
So that's the first one that um, some of us may uh, dip our toes in, if I could say that, to uh, test the in-person conference scene. And so there is definitely a move to go back to in-person uh, conferences. And in my chapter, we're talking about that. We may be hosting our our last uh, virtual industry day coming up and everything else may be uh, in-person going forward. So that's our goal. We're looking at how we can do it hybrid for those who are not comfortable going in person, but we're definitely trying to move back to what some, what we would consider the new normal. What? Yes. And if I could just add on, uh, Justin, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, James, you did make me think about uh, vendors that are from out of town. Obviously, in those instances, the virtual uh, engagement has been a plus. Um, but definitely our local suppliers or those somewhere within the region, they they have um, begun to, on their own, uh, come back and, and visit and uh, set up meetings and have those in-person settings. But definitely uh, the the out-of-towners, I think definitely it works for them uh, as far as being able to introduce and have that engagement. Jamie, I think Joe is associated with you, so you want... Yeah, Joe is... Poor Joe. He's actually associated with both Fred and I. So Joe Zaroka is the State of Maine's Director of IT Procurement. And Joe, I just wanted you to briefly be able to tell the story that you talked about the other day from a good remote experience to where... Excuse me, a bad remote experience to kind of where you are today, which is we call office homeless. Yes, the director of IT procurement, Joe Zaroka. Thank you for having me. And yes, I worked in the private sector for 31 years. And in the last eight years, I worked exclusively exclusively from home. Some of the people that I was actually managing and leading, and in, in some cases, uh, when we had a workforce reduction, I was terminating people that I had never met. I, I hated it after eight years. I mean, I was just ready to, to give up and, and quit. Anyways, I applied for a job with the state of Maine government, and I loved it. I loved being back in the office. I had a routine. And then fast forward with COVID, I really had a lot of reservations. I think, I think it was Fred that told me one day, he said, you are leaving the office, right? As I got used to it and got over my stage fright of doing the... Um, you know, the virtual meetings, I really grew to love it. And my productivity went up. I was able to engage with my peers and with my team much more than I could in the office. I've got a team right now. They don't want to go back in the office. I mean, certainly they'd like to go in occasionally, but they're very productive. But it went from bad to good as far as working remotely for me. Yeah, it's been very transformational for sure. Thanks for your story, Joe. We think it's been a good discussion. Procurement was forced to go out of the office and let's not underestimate the impact of not receiving paper into the office anymore through some of the bids and the transformation that that drove as well. So it is an interesting conversion time for procurement in general, but this is a broader overall topic about government. And you know, I want to thank Fred and Tanya for joining us and Tanya, why don't I give you a last word on some of this about anything that you're seeing on this front? I think government is going to particularly change in the way that we deliver services, whether it's in person or via um, digital. From my perspective, I see procurement um, utilizing technology to reach um, the supplier community 
whether it's local or far away in different methods, whether um, it's online bidding, uh, utilizing social media, and from, definitely from a tech perspective, um, being much more agile where we can um, get bids out the door uh, way quicker than we would have uh, pre-pandemic. Um, this whole work from anywhere um, will be a great social experiment. Um, introverts are happy. I think it was Fred who said, you know, the folks that are extroverts and want to come into an office, I think will have the space to do so certainly in, in King County as we adapt. And out here, environmental issues um, tend to be at the, at the forefront and saving on carbon emissions, particularly as we move to electrification of different things, I think will play a role in how we do procurements um, going forward. Excellent. Well, we're doing these every couple of weeks, so we'll try to find some topics that appeal to, to a broad cross-section of people who are interested in showing up. Jamie will make sure that we avoid your commute schedule and uh, <laughs> childcare schedule because we, we just got to have that energy on here. So glad you made it back in. Glad to be back, Dustin. Thank you. And what a great conversation today. Fred, Joe, and and, uh, Tanya, of course, thank you for joining us. Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent.